Please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. We're finishing that section that we have been sharing for the last several weeks. And let me assure you that uh, there is no way that we, I have exhausted this text. It is rich. I, I was thinking of it being like the Niagara Falls. I, 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 you know that I'm from Toronto, and, and we used to go to Niagara Falls regularly. Just to, and there was a section that I really loved. You, you go to this one section, and you could look down on the water, flowing. And we have been there again and again and again. And the water never gets less. <laughs> it just keeps flowing. It just keeps flowing. And every time I go back to Toronto, if I'm able to, I fly into Buffalo just to go by Niagara Falls and see the falls again because I miss it. I always think of uh, when I came here and I told people I was from Toronto and, um, and talk about Niagara Falls, they say, oh, we have, a, we have a place by Detroit here, really, really great place. And, and so I went to this place to see the falls. No comparison. Okay, but no comparison. I want to suggest to you this morning that Ephesians is talking to the church. Ephesians is not dealing with a man's opinion about the church. Ephesians is talking about the church. And God the Holy Spirit is the one who is responsible for what is here. So I trust that as we go through this this morning, your cup will be full and running over with the wonders of what God has to say about who you are and about who I am as the church of Jesus Christ. And I, I, I suggest to you again that this is not talking about sort of the church. It's talking about the church wherever the gospel has called men and women to faith in Jesus Christ. That's the church. So the church is meeting in different places this morning, but the church is meeting here. We are a part of the universal, the spiritual body of Christ, and we have come to hear what God has to say to us. So I call your attention to Ephesians 4, 14 to 16. And as I was sitting there thinking, I think of our visitors. Uh, you're coming in in the middle of this. So I trust that God will help you to put the connections because the people who have been here have heard the, the, the first and the second part, the third part, and this is the fourth part of Ephesians. So I trust that you will be able to gain um, in your own personal lives from what the scriptures are saying this morning. Ephesians 4, verse 14. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by the waves and carried away by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted together is held by every joint 
by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual parts, causing growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. And I pray that God will help me to unpack this for us this morning so that we will gain from what God has to say. One of my favorite stories, and I have a whole lot of them. Um, when I was in Toronto, some of the folks used to, when they greet me, they say, number 15. Uh, because they've heard some of these jokes before, and I hope that you will never do that to me. <laughs> but one of my favorite jokes is a story, and I, I think it's a true story, of these two Australian sold, uh, sailors, Navy guys, who took a trip to London. And if you've been to London you know that it can get foggy within minutes. And so they went into a pub. And while they were in that pub, of course, they got inebriated. They came out. They couldn't see where they were going. And so the one sailor looked at the one and said, we've got to ask for help. So they saw a figure coming toward them. They couldn't see who the figure was, how he was dressed. So they walked up to him, staggering, and said, Excuse me, bloke, can you tell me where we are? Well, this was a five-star general. He was offended at the question. And he looked into the faces of these two sailors. And he said, do you know who I am? And the one sailor looked at the other one and said, we are in trouble now. We don't know where we are. He doesn't know who he is. <laughs> Friends, that's where the church is. For some reason, we have lost our direction. And we don't know who we really are. We're making all kinds of gestures to the world to try to impress it, to come and be a part of us. But we're not too sure that we know who we are as a church. And we don't even know that we know what we're supposed to be doing. And this is not talking, you know, I, I saw um, a guy who was preaching and and I mean, this, this is on television. This, this guy was going to speak on marriage. And on the platform, he had a bed with satin sheets and blankets. And he and his wife were in the bed and he was going to speak from that position. That was on television. Can you imagine anyone with a broken heart because of losing a loved one, looking for something to rescue them and come across that. We don't know who we are. We don't know where we, what we're supposed to be doing. Somehow we have left the source. And because of having left the source, we need to return to it. And this is what Ephesians is telling us. What does a church look like? What does a church do? Where is a church going? 
Where is a church in the world? Your outline will show you this morning. Remember what we said. That when Jesus Christ died and rose again, he gave gifts gift to the church. In the person of people. People who were supposed to equip the church, the saints, for ministry. And Paul is building upon that. And we have been through what we're supposed to be doing. That growth is not numbers. The growth of the church is the, is the individuals growing together as one body so that we can minister to one another and out of our ministry to one another, the world is affected. That's the church. Now I want you to see this morning what Paul is talking about, the proof of a mature church. What does it look like when individual Christians are mature, able to interact with one another, serving one another to the place where they become an effective witness in the world. Paul says for the first proof of a, of, a, of a mature church is stability of the saints. Now I use saints immediate, uh, directly because I, if I said church, you might be thinking of a building. But he's talking about saints. Remember what I said? That a saint is not a dead person. A saint is not a pious looking person. It's interesting to me that Paul calls the Corinthian church saints and of all the churches in the New Testament, the most horrible church was, was the church of Corinth. They were doing things, says St. Paul, that was not even mentioned in the world. Yet he called them saints. You see, because a saint is a person who has come into a relationship with God through faith in Christ, and that relationship sets that person apart and begins the process by which that person is beginning to behave because of his or her belief like the Lord Jesus Christ. Now what does it mean to be a stable saint? Paul said we're not to be like children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. One of the things that the church has been known for, especially in the last 25 years, is that they look for the, the newest thing that is taking place. Whatever that thing might be. Some wave. I, I worked with, with, with a church leader in, in, in Toronto, and you say, what's the latest wave? Because the latest wave was what, what drove the church. And, and Paul is saying we are not supposed to succumb to the waves. Uh, let, let me give you a few of, the, of those things. Uh, someone used to say in the 70s, all to live with saints above, that will be glory. But to live with some saints below, that's another story. I mean, imagine God has called us not to be like children. What are children known for? Fighting. I have two grandchildren. And if you look at them sometimes, you wouldn't believe that they're brother and sister. Because when, 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 when little Kobe gets annoyed at her brother, oh, she has, I don't know where she gets it from. 
One day she became so angry. And, and she was ready. I mean, she's, her veins are pulsating when she gets this way. She's six years old. And I said to her, you know, one day your brother, who is three years older than you are, is going to return the favor. I, I remember, I, I used, I mean, I did it. I remember running to my mother and, and I, you know, I belted my sister and I ran to my mother and I said, if Kathy tells you anything, don't believe her. <laughs> I did. But she was a wise lady. And in that day, they didn't wait for Kathy to come home. She took over right away, you know. That's what children are known for. And I'm amazed. My sister and I now, she's a, been a Christian a lot longer than I have been. It's, it's amazing. When we get on the phone, we, we talk for almost hours. Couldn't stand her when she was young. She couldn't stand me when I was young. But isn't it interesting, friends, that when Paul wants to talk about stability in the church, he makes the contrast between adult and children. You remember St. Paul's words? When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I thought as a child, I understood as a child, but when I became, when I became, the process, God never intends for you and for me to remain as children in our faith. Our faith is supposed to grow, to become strong, so that we are able to stand because all kinds of new things are coming. The, the, the word tossed, to be tossed to and fro, is like a, a ship being in, in, in the middle of the sea. And the wind comes and blows it that way. And then from this side and that way. Paul says, a church that is stable can stand the winds. A church that is stable is not, is not caught by surprise. Let me tell you, friends, I have lived long enough to see several changes that have affected the church. Bus ministry. School ministry. Huh. One, one church in California had something that they did in their Sunday evening service, when the offering was being taken, they wanted to be so free that they told people as the offering plate was passed, they could take out whatever they want. Now that's a church to go to, isn't it? <laughs> we, we, we have tried everything. The changing times. We, we, we must have this, we must have that. Because if we have this or that, that will make the ministry more effective. That will make the ministry appealing to the community. That will make the ministry grow. When all the time, my friends, God does not call us to emphasize how many people come, but what happens to the people who come. We're not to be like children. I tell you, I've heard some of the things that, that, that churches fight over. Oh, wow. So that men especially, men especially have looked at the church as a fighting area. They have 
too many important things to do, so men do not put any emphasis on how important the church is anymore. They think it's for women. Let them take care of curtains. Let them take care of carpets. When my friends, when God gave gifts to the church, it is to make people strong. To make people stand. To make people capable of saying, this is not biblical, and here I stand, I can do no less. I tell you, I, I've gone through some stuff. I remember when I was back in Canada, my superintendent would come and say, Winston, what is the core value of the church? I started to tell him. And he didn't agree with me. Because it didn't have the sound like what they were doing out there. <laughs> I said, I'm sorry. I, I can't, I can't. I can't buy into what they're doing when what they're, if I'm buying from outside to bring it inside, why will they want to come from outside to come inside for the thing I borrowed from them? See, I must have something, my friends, so that when the outside looks upon the church, you and me, they see stability. They don't see rigidity. They don't see dictatorialism. What they see are people who are firm in their belief and their, their biblical belief is able to keep them in spite of the winds that are blowing. And I'm not only talking about changes. I'm talking about disappointments in life. There are many people who no longer believe in God because God took their husbands. Or God didn't give them, I, I, I found this one to be so amazing. You know, um, Albert Pujol, the guy that plays first base for the Angels. He's, he's, I mean, this guy's making about money flowing out of his ears. And they just moved from St. Louis to Los Angeles. And his wife got on the radio. This is what she really said. I am angry at God. Because we would have stayed in St. Louis for more money. I, would, I was angry at God. I mean, this lady is talking about hundreds of millions of dollars. I would have stayed, and God did not give us more money, so we moved to Los Angeles for more. Now, that's stability. You know why, friends? Because in a few years, if someone offers them more, you know what they'll do? They'll move again. See, contentment, contentment is a sign of stability so that I am able to be absolutely content with where God has placed me, what God allows in my life, the, the, the passage through which he takes me. I am not like a child who loves me one minute and does not the next minute. Stability. But sensibility as well. Look at, look at verse 14 again. As a result, we are not to be no longer children tossed here and there by every wind of doctrine. Look at this now. By the trickery of men. <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting. My sister that I was telling you about, 
volunteers for a very big religious TV program station. And we were talking just a few days ago. And she said to me, Winston, you won't believe this. This lady called in and she said, I want you to pray for me that God will send me a miracle today. Things are really hard. She said, because I don't have enough, but my pastor is coming over for, his, for the offerings in 10 minutes. My pastor is coming over for the offering. In other words, my friends, she had to have money to give to the pastor, but she didn't have money for her own needs. I've listened to pastors who have said to people, go to the bank and borrow money so you can give to this ministry. My friends, that's trickery. Because God never calls upon his people to slave themselves for the sake of any ministry. A ministry that has to, has to, has to beg people to indebt themselves I am wondering if God intended that ministry to exist in the first place. I know those are strong words. But too often, my friends, the church is simply seen as out there for this. Not a, not, not, not a ministry that is looking for ways by which people can benefit from what the church is rather than the church benefit, benefiting from what they did. Listen to what Paul calls this. He said, this kind of waves that come, people look for, for, for new waves again and again. And you must be sensitive to realize that the reason they are doing this is because they're trying to trick you to get what they want. In Hosea chapter 4 verse 6, God said this, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed. The mature church is capable and is sensitive to the source of new waves that are coming, where they're coming from. They know that it's according to man's cleverness and the unscrupulous cunning that, that makes use of every shifting device to mislead. <laughs> the way I talk about religious programs, you think I watch them, but I just happen to come in them when they're doing these stupid things. I heard one guy just, just a few days ago. The guy was as serious as could be. And he said this. God has given me the secret to this miracle water. And if you send me so much money, I can share that secret. I saw it, friends. I'm not making it up. You see, we must be sensitive to that kind of a stuff. Because it will happen in the church as well as outside the church. When I was in, 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 in Toronto, I had a fellow came to me. And he said this, Winston, can I come over and visit with you and Lois? He was a new person. I thought, why not? You know, it's one thing for the pastor to go visit, but something else for someone to visit the pastor. So when he came, he sat down, started his conversation, and as she shared the conversation, somehow I became aware that something is not wrong with it. Something is not right with this conversation. 
and he was telling me how I could make more money as a pastor. And I said to him, the scripture says that no one who is called by God to serve in the ministry should get entangled with the affairs of this world. So he said to me, but <laughs> there's, a, there, there's this, this pastor in a certain part of the United States. He's big in this. I said, each one must give account of himself to God. I can't answer for him. I can only answer for me. And my friends, the, the, the church that is mature is sensitive to the source of the new waves. Whether it is out there or whether it comes here. We must be able to say, this thing is not biblical. This thing is not scriptural. Uh, let me tell you, if, if, if at any time, <laughs> if any time I have, uh, as someone said to me, I, I went to Israel, and after that I started to get all kinds of, of invitation to lead trips to Israel. And, and, and this is one of the selling points. If you can get your people to, if you get 14 people out of the church, you get a free trip. So I was going to use the people for a free trip for me. Friends, that's not biblical. That's what I mean. We have to be sensitive. And sometimes it sounds good. But simply because it sounds good doesn't mean that it is right. We must know, we must be able to discern, we must be prudent, we must be able to see beyond the seeing of the eyes and the hearing of the ears so that when someone says something to us, like the devil said to Jesus, cast yourself from this, this uh, high place, he will give his angels charge over thee. He used the scriptures. Wonderfully, Jesus knew that scripture answers to scriptures, so he was able to say, the Bible also says... That's where we must be sensitive. And so there's a healthy church. There's a mature church. They're sensitive to the source of new waves. Uh, you know, there's, there's, one, there's one, and I don't know if I should, I said, someone said, you shouldn't say it, then don't say it. But then I'll whet your appetite for what I was going to say. There, there, there was a, a, a leading individual who, who wore a certain kind of shirt in the pulpit. And everyone who was a part of that philosophy would wear the same kind of shirts all across the United States on Sunday mornings. Because they were saying, we are, we, we are a part of that ministry there. Let me, let me tell you what Jesus said, friends. The badge that Jesus has given for us to be identified as his church is that we love one another. That's the badge. There is nothing so powerful as a church that is growing in its love, as you shall see in a minute. Growing it in its responsibility and relationships. Let me suggest to you that when the devil sees that, he is made to flee. So there. Let's look at the practice then. The practice of a mature church. Ephesians 4 15 and 16. Look at what it says. 
speaking the truth in love. The, 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 what is interesting in this is that what I call the dignity of communication. The dignity of communication. If we're speaking, we're assuming that there are others with whom we're doing it. If we're speaking, we're communicating to someone. If we're speaking, we're saying someone else is involved in what I am saying. So Paul says two things should, should define the speaking, the communication between Christians. There should be the integrity of speaking. We speak the truth. Now, just a minute now, just a second. Because I've heard, and I've heard pastors repenting of this, I've heard people say, we should speak the truth in love. In other words, that means I tell it like it is. So, I don't like your tie. I don't like your taste in, in clothing. Well, my friend, this is not what this is talking about at all. When Paul talks about the integrity in speaking, listen please, it means that when I am speaking, I am not speaking to tell you what is wrong, but to encourage you with the truth to do what is right. It is not telling you what I don't like about you. It is telling you what God says about you. It is telling you what, what God wants of you, the privilege he, he gives to you and to me. It's not going around telling people what you don't like about what they're doing. 1 Corinthians 8.1 says this, Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Love lifts up. So when I speak, you should not be saying, what a brilliant orator he is. When I speak, you should not be made to feel small. I have, an, uh, among the, the books in my library at home, I, I have one of the commentaries on Ephesians. Brilliant, brilliant mind by the professor who wrote it. But I'm going to tell you, every, every time I take down that book to read, I put my dictionary beside me. And I'm not blaming him at all, not at all. But I'm saying, my friends, when I come to speak to you now and when you speak to one another, it never makes others feel uncomfortable because the truth is not to destroy you. The, the truth is to edify you. That's what the truth does. The truth is not to tell you what I don't like about what you're doing or how you're doing it, whatever the case might be. I am communicating with you because of commitment to your spiritual growth in the body. What is the intent of speaking? Speaking the truth in love so that you will grow and mature more and more as an individual relating to Jesus Christ, who is the goal as well as the source for, for, for maturity. I don't want you to become like me. 
you shouldn't want anyone to become like you. Paul says to the, Ephesians, to the Corinthians, follow me as I follow Christ. So what you must see in me are, are, are virtues of Christ for which you aspire in your own life, but never stop at the messenger because that's about all he is. We speak the truth in love. In other words, my friends, long before I tell you what I think of you, I want you to know how I think of you. In love. What does it mean to speak the truth in love? Just turn over a couple of pages to Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. I love these verses. Look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. That's the capacity of love, friends. Our love is not simply something we experienced so many years ago, and that's it. No, we are growing in the love because, you see, God is love. And when we grow in God, we grow in love. And love becomes the platform from which comes my communication. Love becomes the platform from which comes my service. Love becomes the foundation that keeps me thinking about you as a part of me as nothing else can do. So important is this that Jesus himself said it by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. Just don't memorize that verse, friends. That verse is not intended for memorization. It is intended for aspiration. That's what we, that's what we should be aiming for. Love in such a way that is knowledgeable, not gullible. Love that is discernible. It doesn't take for granted everything it hears or sees. But when it hears and sees, he knows how to respond to it. The situation does not change him or his love. His love makes him change the situation. Let me go on to the destiny of communication. Ephesians 4.16. Look at the end of verse 15 of our text. At the end of verse 15, the Apostle Paul says this. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. See, every time I share spiritual with you, something should happen to you as it has happened to me. Not because I'm trying to, happen, to, to make it happen, but because this is the way love works. So he said, you are to grow up into Christ. Because Christ is the goal as well as the source. 
and as I grow up into Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together. Now, please listen here. The body of Christ is one. He is the head. And it's from Him, when we relate life to Him in the church, in our lives individually, we seek to reach out to others as a part of the body. And when we reach out to others as a part of the body, God, a Christ, in His high priestly ministry, actually effect the proper fitting of the pieces of the body of Christ so that it works with harmony and unity and beauty. Uh, to me, that's, you know, I sat at my desk Thursday. I'm glad no one was at home. They would have thought I was going crazy. I was talking to myself. I thought, this is, this is marvelous. L- look at this. When I come and when I share, when you share with me and I share with you the things of God, Jesus Christ is in heaven working so that we become more and more a part of the body. We, we, we reduce stresses in the body and we produce harmony in the body. That is all the work of Christ as we speak the truth in love one to another. See, that's, that's why the Bible is not talking about growth numerically. It's talking about growth, my friends, maturely. So that you and I become the means by which the church is strengthened. Please listen now. If we fail to speak the truth in love, we weaken the church. Nobody grows up in Christ by deceit. Nobody grows up in, grows up in, in Christ by manipulation, but by love. And what that love does, it causes the church to minister to itself. Please listen. Because St. Paul is going to say in chapter 5, the man who loves himself loves his church, uh, his wife. The man who loves himself loves his wife. Just look at that. So if I love myself as a part of the body, I love the rest of the body. There is not one person that I should say, I can't stand that person. If there's a part of the body that I can stand, the problem, my friends, is not with the part I can't stand. The problem is with me. There's a great, great verse in Malachi chapter 3, verse 16. Malachi chapter 3, verse 16. It says, They that fear the Lord, they that fear the Lord, spoke often one with another, and a book of remembrance was kept by the Lord. My, do you get that? When you and I speak the truth in love to one another, God keeps a record of it. But one day what you said about me in private and what I said about you in private, one day God will open the books and he will say, Winston, when you talk to your wife about Paul, this is what you said, and I was glad. When you spoke in secret about another brother, another sister, to another brother or to another sister, look, 
I kept a record of it. And I was glad. Oh, friends, do you see the beauty of the church? Do you see what the church is called to be? There's nothing in the world like this. That I will protect your dignity because I fear the Lord so that when I speak about you, I never have to be embarrassed thinking that God is not pleased with it. That's the church. That's the church. The atmosphere in which God, the Godhead exists, please listen. The atmosphere in which the Godhead exists is love. The Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father, and the Spirit loves the Son, and the Son loves the Spirit. The atmosphere of love. Listen to what Jesus said. As the Father has loved me, so you must love one another. There is faith, and there is hope, and there is love. And one day, faith will be gone. And one day, hope will be gone. But there is never a time when love will not be. So heaven, heaven enters the soul of the church long before the soul enters heaven. The goal of the church is to build itself up in love. And this, my friends, is what the church looks like. A church that is constantly growing, not necessarily in numbers, but in spiritual graces, in every aspect, every aspect, whether youth or children, whether junior highs or young adults, whether it's people who have been a part of the church for 45 years or 35 years or 35 minutes, if you are a part of the body of Christ, you belong to the love generation. It didn't exist then. It exists from before time, into time, and beyond time. This is my commandment, that you love one another. And when we do, my friends, the world sees something this has never seen before. In your bulletin, you have a little sheet. And that sheet says this. The scripture may explain the fact that each Christian has been given a gift for the ministry. Below, please find opportunities listed for those who call Sotoville Evangelical Church their church home. Take yours home. Pray during the week. Return it and put it in a box that will be there next week so that we can know how you see yourself as a part fitting into the body. Now, this does not include those who have ministries already. Okay, I, I thought of that when we were making this out. So we're not, we're not it, it's whatever you feel God has called you to do, just list it there. And when you are needed, we want to look to you so that, that, that if Lori needs someone in the nursery, she doesn't have to wonder, who am I going to get now? Or if, if, if uh, um, um, Randy needs someone to read scriptures, he doesn't have to say, oh, I wonder who I can put now. There might be new people coming in 
that you feel that you would like to be a part of reading the scriptures as we have seen uh, Colin Dan this morning. This, my friends, the ministry is you. Not me, but us. Paul says, until we all come. So prayerfully see how God will have you fill out this. Now, don't put everything down there, okay? Uh, if you put everything, you're really us there. But where you feel God is giving you the gifts that might be meaningful for the body of Christ. Let's pray. Father, this word is so powerful, and certainly it is not the last message I have preached from it. It's simply the last message for now. But I pray that the Spirit may have opened our eyes to see things of the body and what the church really looks like as, as, as never before. Oh, God, may, may, may we not be a people looking out for him or herself, but looking out for the things of others so that when we speak about and to one another, we do so with the love of Christ overflowing so that the body is not fractured by how we communicate, but built up because of it. In Jesus' name.